You've been there, right? I mean, that's sometimes why you laugh is because you go, I can so relate to that. That happened last Christmas. And, and, And you've all been in that same place that I've been as well, where at least there are many of you that are like this this morning. You get married and you enjoy your husband or wife for a few years and and then you think your life will not be complete unless you have kids, right? And so you start planning for that first child and and all you can think about is how great it's going to be. And then the baby comes and it is great until you realize, dads, that there's these filters that come on them that have to be changed and you're expected to do some of that, and you're expected to get up in the middle of the night, and then all of a sudden, some of that um, anticipation begins to, you don't regret, right? I mean, that's not, that's not it. But, and then they become toddlers, and they start talking. You can't wait for them to start talking. And it starts out with us thinking that everything they say is just so cute, and they must be so intelligent. I mean, look at the babble that they're, you know, they're words, but they're not really words, right? And then they start saying things, and it's really cute until they say things that embarrass us. Have you ever been there? And then we look forward to the time when we can finally have intelligent conversation with them, that they're going to be able to put words into sentences, and that's going to be really awesome. And then that time comes, and then they become middle schoolers and high schoolers, and they don't really want to have intelligent conversation, at least with us, uh, anymore, and thus begin the challenges of middle school and high school years. And I, I think I found this to be true uh, in my life, that it's obvious that kids don't come with a manual, right? Everything else that you get in life, it comes with a manual. You get a new car, the manual's there. It tells you what you need to do and what not to do. You, you, you buy a new phone or a, or a stereo or something like that. It always comes with instructions, but kids don't. And it seems like just the time we think we have a, a season of life understood, then they enter into another Uh, season of life and just the time when we're experts right we're empty nesters and we become grandparents and then we begin to slip into another mode in which we help our kids raise their kids because we're experts right and such goes the journey of parenting well some of you i know are visiting uh, with us today and maybe you came because we're talking about a subject that um, you recognize that you need help with Psalm 127, verse 3 says this, Behold, children are a heritage or a treasure from the Lord. I hope that you believe that that's true this morning. That as difficult as your journey might be right now with that little toddler or even a baby or certainly with a middle schooler or a high schooler, as difficult as that journey may be at moments, that our children are a treasure that God's given to us. And one of the greatest experiences I believe that we have in life is to be a parent There are probably days when you don't feel like that's one of life's greatest privilege. In fact, you may feel that way today, but parents have an opportunity to influence and to prepare the next generation for for living a life that makes a difference uh, on this planet. And uh, it's an opportunity for us as well to leave a legacy through kids that we influence and impact that will last way beyond our moments that we spend here on this planet. And so as we start out these next few weeks together, I want to give you three things just real quickly uh, that are they're just kind of like ground rules for what we're talking about, all right? Number one is, can we all just agree that in a connected social media-hyped society, 
that it may appear that there are parents that are perfect and have it all together, um, but there are really none. Can we just agree to that? Because I know so many of you, you know, get a, you get a tweet from one of your friends, especially you young moms, because you're all really connected, and you go, look at how great they are, right? Or you get on Facebook, and, and nobody puts their mess on Facebook. Well, I, I take that back. Some people do put their mess on Facebook. If you're one of those people, stop doing that, all right? But there's pictures of the family vacation, and you begin to go, why can't we go there on vacation? I mean, come on, we went to Fuquay. Why? Why? They went, to, they went on a cruise down in the Caribbean. They went on a Disney cruise, and it's really awesome. And in a social media hype society, it's so easy for us as moms and dads to think that somehow there are super parents out there, and we just didn't get it. Number two, can we agree that while we've all made mistakes in our parenting, that as long as you have breath, there's an opportunity to change course. I'll tell you what, if I did not believe that that was true, then we would not have invited you here today. Those of you that regularly attend Northwest, there'd be no reason for you to be here today. But because of the truth that we teach from God's word, we believe that all of us have the ability to be able to change because of the gospel message. So you could be here today and you can hear things and you can go, oh, I already screwed that up. <laughs> My kid's already out of the home and I've messed that up. Now I'm a grandparent and what, what can I do? Or Please don't buy into that lie. Can we all just agree that as long as we have breath, it's never too late to change course? And number three, can we also agree that on a short series on uh, parenting that it may appear that it's just for those of you uh, that are currently that currently have kids living in your home it could appear that way but i want to tell you that this series has implications for everyone and w- why do i believe that's true I, I believe that's true because if you're here and you're single meaning you've never had kids if you're uh, an empty nester meaning you had kids but now they're gone if, you've, if you're here and you're, you're married, but you've never had kids, maybe you're not able to, to have children. Maybe you've thought about the possibility of adoption, but right now there's no kids in your home. Maybe you're a part of Northwest and your grandparents. Whether you're in the middle of raising kids, you've never had kids, or you have kids that are still at home, I believe the series has relevancy for you. And the reason I say that is because Um, We all need to be involved in influencing the next generation in positive ways. I really believe that if you're here this morning and you're single, if you don't have any kids living in your home, if you're a grandparent, if you're an empty nester, you have the ability to influence and impact kids that are uh, certainly in our church, that are in your neighborhood, maybe that are part of your extended family. And so learning some of these things in the next few weeks, I believe, will be very beneficial to everybody. All right, so those are three ground rules. Now, I find it intriguing that when I read through the Bible, and uh, I've got paper that's hanging on my wall that says that I should know all about the Bible, and, and I've read through the Bible many times, I've taught through the Bible, here's what I find to be intriguing. I find it intriguing that most of the stories that we read about in the Bible about moms and, ba- moms and dads Moms and bads, isn't that a Freudian slip there? They're stories of failed parents. You ever notice that if you've read through the Bible? There's no parent that you look at and you go, now there's a really great parent. You know, until you get maybe to Proverbs 31 and you read about the Proverbs 31 woman. So maybe there are some good women, but for the most part, 
Every parent that you read about in the Bible, primarily in the Old Testament, have been pretty lousy parents. In fact, if you look back, the first parents, Adam and Eve, they had two sons named... They obviously aren't reading through your Bibles too much. Cain and Abel. <laughs> so much so, these kids were so dysfunctional and there was so much sibling rivalry and they couldn't get along that Cain actually killed his older brother, Abel. And Jacob, we read about that he played favorites with his uh, children, just like his parents had done with him. And he had a favorite son, and that son's name was Joseph. And his brothers hated that so much that they actually sold him into slavery. Now, your kids may not like each other today, but I guarantee you there's not anybody in this room who has had one of their kids sell another kid into slavery. That's not happened. There was a priest in Scripture named Eli. Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And they were called, get this, Scripture says in 1 Samuel 2, they were worthless men who did not know the Lord. Now think about it, dads, for just a second. What would it be like for it to be written about your sons that they were worthless men who didn't know God? And yet, get this, here's what makes it even worse. His two sons actually were appointed by their father to serve as priests. They had a total lack of reverence for God. They disobeyed him on a regular basis. In fact, it's recorded in, first, in second Samuel, uh, chapter, or 1 Samuel chapter 2 that, that uh, they also slept with women who served at the entrance of the tabernacle. These were horrible kids, and yet their dad was a priest at the tabernacle. And for this, Scripture tells us in 2 Samuel 2 that Eli simply offered a minor verbal rebuke. And how about the guy named David, King David, who Scripture refers to as a man after God's own heart. I think he was probably, at least what we have recorded in the Bible, he was probably one of the worst parents out there. And look at what his four uh, famous sons did. David's son, Adonijah, didn't like the, the fact that his father had picked his brother Solomon to be the king. And so when David died, Adonijah actually made a play uh, for the throne, and, and as a result, uh, Solomon killed him. In fact, it says in 1 Kings 1, chapter 6, it says David didn't rebuke Adonijah at any time. In fact, Adonijah grew up thinking he was, he was everything in that, and he grew up just thinking that, that, that there was no issues in his life, that the way that he was living his life was fine, because David never corrected him, he never rebuked him. David had another son named Amnon, and he actually raped his half-sister named Tamar, and then was killed by David's other son named Absalom. In addition to killing his brother, Solomon also had issues with women, just like his dad had had issues with women. And as a result of those relationships with those women, Scripture tells us that his heart turned away from God, and it turned towards idols. And in the end, we read about this in Ecclesiastes. In the end, what happened? In the end, Solomon realized that everything that he had spent his life on, all of the pursuit of happiness, he realized it was meaningless. It was totally unfulfilling and it was totally worthless. The one thing that I, one of the many things that I like about reading the Bible is that God has allowed us to see real authenticity, real transparency in Scripture. And it makes me feel better about my parenting. <laughs> I mean, when I read about those guys, and I go, none of my kids have sold the other one into slavery, that's a win, right? I mean, that's awesome, right? Yes, sibling rivalry, but no shots have been fired in my home. This is great. 
I mean, it makes us feel somewhat better about our parenting, but David is the perfect example, I believe, and some of us are going to fall into this category as we start this series today. David is the perfect example of a parent who knew the right things to do, obviously, but he failed to put them into practice. He failed to make his role as a dad his priority. And much of what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks will not be new to you. I would suggest that most of what we will say, that Jerry and I will say over the next few weeks, you'll go, I already knew that. The problem is that we know a lot more than we actually do, right? And it's certainly true in our parenting. I think it's interesting that uh, the man that was not the best example of a great parent, uh, David, writes in Psalm 112 what I believe to be the very definition of what it means to raise up great kids and the results of that. If you have your Bible, turn to that psalm. I want to read that uh, to you, and I'm going to read in the uh, New Living uh, Translation, which is different than what we normally use. If you're here and you're visiting with us, by the way, and you have a smartphone, uh, you might want to just download right now. A, it's, it's, there's an app that's called Uversion, and that'll be a great way for you to follow up and to have that uh, on your smartphone. But Psalm 112, and David wrote this psalm. Now keep in mind everything that I just said about David and his sons. And this is what David writes. Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Now, we, we would read that, and, and certainly those of us that are here and we're followers of Jesus, we would go, we know that that's true, right? I mean, we're, we know that we're going to be happy if we fear the Lord and we delight in doing his, his works. David knew that. David wrote it down. The question is, why didn't he do that? Why didn't he parent that way? You see, it's not just a matter of obeying what is right. It's a matter of loving what is right. Some of us grew up in, in homes, maybe you grew up in a church, where it was all about just living by these rules and these obligations that dad put on you or a youth pastor put on you or somebody else put on you. And you perceive that that's what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Can I tell you this morning, that's never what God intended for it to be. Our culture has made it out to be that somehow religion, what's been done in the name of religion, is somehow uh, destructive and constraining. And yet God says, when you, when you have a relationship with me, when you, when you live for me, when you delight, when you love what I've told you to do, that that produces joy. What was verse 2 says? It says their children will be successful everywhere. Isn't that really what we want for our kids at the end of the day? Now, we could um, have different definitions of what we think success is. In fact, within a, within a box of acceptability, there's a lot of different definitions of what we think uh, success is. But it says their children will be successful everywhere. The idea here is in the Hebrew text that they will be recognized and that they will be respected. An entire generation, it goes on to say, of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever. You know, much of what we do is so temporary. We're going to talk about that here uh, in just a moment. So much of what we do is just temporary. It doesn't last. But the result of a life that's lived for God and according to biblical principle is eternal. Verse 4 says, light shines in the darkness for the godly. And then I love this line because for me, this is the very definition of success. If my kids have these three characteristics, then I'll look at their lives and I'll go, man, somehow the grace of God and their mother, these kids have turned out to be something. They're these three things. They are generous, 
They're compassionate and they're righteous. Isn't that a great definition of success? To raise that kind of kid that is generous, that is compassionate, and that is righteous. I mean, even those that are in our world that don't necessarily claim the name of Jesus, they would have to agree with that. If we have kids that are generous, compassionate, and they live morally upstanding lives, that that's a great thing. Verse 5 said, good things. Good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Such people will not be overcome by evil. And then I love the end of verse 6. It says, those who are righteous will long be remembered. They'll long be remembered. Now, some of you right now are thinking, that sounds awesome to have kids that are generous, compassionate, and righteous. But have you ever tried raising one in the particular culture that we're living in? Uh, I have. Uh, I've tried to raise three in this culture. How do we do that? How do we prepare kids who will live in an increasingly secularized world who not only survive in, but who have the ability to be able to influence and make a difference in the world? How do we raise great kids based on God's definition rather than our culture's definition? This summer, I picked up a book that uh, at the time, I didn't know. I just was intrigued by the title of it. It's called 12 Huge Mistakes Parents Can Avoid. I would thoroughly recommend you getting this book. In fact, I loved it so much that we bought 50 copies of it, and they're available out in the, uh, in the cafe area, out in the lobby as you leave today. Um, I'm sure 50 are going to go pretty quick. They're only $10. But if you don't, and I know this is true of a lot of you guys, right? I know a lot of you women, you know, you're, if it's like at my house, you're laying in the bed reading something, and um, husband's laying in the bed watching TV, I'm just going to admit that, that that's me, and that's my wife. So if, guys, if you're only going to read one book this year, um, read this book. All right, This will improve your parenting uh, dramatically. It's very practical. It's a really easy read, and it's a great resource to evaluate it and to improve your parenting. And this morning, I've used uh, about four of those principles. We've kind of modified them a little bit. I want to give you four today in the few minutes that we have left together Four mistakes that we can avoid making as parents, all right? Just real quickly, number one is uh, we place the highest value on what matters the least. We place the highest value on what matters the least. Think about how you spent your time over this last week. Just think about it. Think about your week starting from last Monday until last night. How did you spend your time this week? Many families spent most of their awaking hours in, in, the, in the last week on things that one day will matter very, very little. We spend our time making everybody happy by making sure they have what they want, by making sure that they participate in everything that's available for them, because if they participate in everything that's available for them, maybe they'll find something that they like and will make them even happier. And so many of us as parents, we went running around all over this place this week doing those things, just trying to make everybody satisfied, everybody, and at what cost? I'm afraid that many of us as parents find ourselves spending large, large amounts of time, of energy, of money, trying to make sure our kids fit into a culture that places a value on things that we don't, in the end, value. Because we spend so much of our time on those things that don't really matter, in the end, we realize that the things that we thought were important matter the least. I had a great opportunity this week to illustrate this. 
I don't know how many of you are on the website, uh, Next Door Neighbor. Are you on that website? If you're not, you should be. It's a great way to get stuff for cheap from your neighbors when they, uh, when they get rid of it. And um, so I have my alerts set up because I'm a deal guy, right? I mean, I like a deal. I have my preferences set up, set up in Next Door Neighbor so that if you post something, immediately I'm going to get an alert. In fact, I could be getting alerts right now. My phone's down there. Diana, could you check that and just make... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find out. So I get this alert. I'm actually on the, the treadmill exercising. Again, as I said a couple weeks ago, for what reason? I don't know. But I found myself there, and I see this alert. And you know what the alert is? The alert is this. The alert is that there's a lady that's selling 60 trophies for 20 bucks. 60 of them. And I went, I don't know. What the heck I would ever do with 60 trophies, but I didn't win that many when I was a kid. So I'm going to, so I send her a, a, a message. Now, now, mind you, I don't really want the, tr- okay, I don't, some of you are going, he really is twisted because he's going to go home and put them on his shelves and as long as they can't see the labels. In fact, she already took all the labels off of them. So the labels are no longer on there. I can make them anything that I want them to be. She was actually asking 25 bucks, but um, I kind of dickered with her a little bit and I got them for I got them for 20 bucks. For 20 bucks. Her kids are all in college. I got them for 20 bucks. Because all of the time, all of the effort, all of the energy, when she texted her kids and said, hey, we're cleaning out the attic. All right, if you want these, then you better come get them. In the end, they went, we don't want them. It's not important. Here's the problem. We prioritize our kids being happy at an early age, don't we? You ever been in the grocery store and seen this little kid? He's sitting in the, in the top of the cart there, and all of a sudden he starts screaming, you know, and the mom goes, what can I do? This is what we're thinking, right? What can I do to what? To make them happy. And at a, at a, at a real young age, you know, then if you go by a certain aisle and there's candy there, you know, or something, and you, you, you give them to that and they stick it in their mouth and all of a sudden they shut up and they're happy. And then as they get just a little bit older, it takes different things to make them happy, doesn't it? I mean, the cookie in the grocery store doesn't do it anymore. And when they're a little older, it's the, the newest, the latest edition of the smartphone or it's a car in order to make them happy and so it goes on and on and on because we spend our time valuing the things that in the end matter the least can i suggest to you this morning that as parents we start placing less of an emphasis on today's happiness and more of an emphasis on tomorrow's readiness please don't buy into the lies that our culture is telling which is just if you can make your kids happy if you can give them everything that culture says you should give them that somehow in the end you win because you don't and spending too much of an emphasis on today's happiness at the expense of tomorrow's readiness i think is destroying many young lives it's a mistake to avoid sometimes great parenting involves saying no do you recognize that Sometimes being the greatest parent is when you can't say yes, when you have to say no. Proverbs 29, 17 says, discipline your son and he'll give you rest. He will give you delight to your heart. Happiness should never be our goal. It should be the result of a life that's lived God's way. It's a byproduct of a life that's lived well. It's not our goal. Number two, mistake to avoid. 
We don't live what we say we want for our kids. Okay, this is where even for me this week, you know, I start thinking about the way that, uh, that I've parented and what my example has been at times, bad. Do you realize that authenticity matters? Being real matters? Let me ask you, do you live what you say you believe or are you a hypocrite? It's been said, don't do as I say or don't do as I do, do as I say. The problem is that doesn't work in the real world, does it? In fact, we're raising a generation of kids that I believe, certainly our middle schoolers and high schoolers, they value authenticity. They value that which is real because so much of their world is not real and they're starting to understand that, that just beyond that facade is something that's fake. And our kids value authenticity. They value those things that are real and our kids don't care really as much what we say as they do what they know we are. See, if you want kids that are committed to knowing God and living their lives for Him, then you have to be that kind of a person. I spent 20 years as a youth pastor, and I can tell you it was a rare situation where there was a parent who did not value the things of God whose kids did. Happened from time to time, but very rarely did that happen. I I will say to you as well that you can be a great parent and still have kids that move in another direction. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment. But if you want your kids to be committed to knowing God and living their lives for him, then you have to be that kind of a person. Number two, if you want kids that care about others, then you have to care about others. It's amazing how involved we want them to be in serving other people, and yet we're not involved serving other people. If you want kids that are compassionate and have a heart for other people, if you want kids that care about people that are outside of their own little world, then you have to be that kind of a person. If you want kids that have integrity, then you have to model it. It's sobering to think about how many moms and dads live so much of their life right on that edge of what is honest and what is right and what is true. Understand this, moms and dads, your kids are watching. They see that. If you want kids that have integrity, you have to model it. If you want generous kids, you have to model it. I think it's great, by the way, for your kids to see how you give and how you use your resources that God has entrusted into your care. I grew up in a home where that was kind of a secret thing that mom and dad did over here, right? We've tried to let our kids in on that a little bit. When we gave to our um, Irresistible Influence campaign a couple of years ago, I sat down with our kids. I told them what uh, Diana and I were committed to give, and uh, I told them the effects it might have on them. (laughs) Like you may not uh, not, uh, have pants to wear. No, no, it wasn't anything like that. It was, um, you know, we may not go on that vacation, We may not buy that car. We may not do this. But here's why we're doing this. Because we believe in the cause of the gospel. We believe that God's word, that people understanding that they were were created to have a relationship with Jesus, we believe that that message changes everything and it's lasting and it's eternal. So that's why we're going to make this investment. And our kids were actually excited about that. Our greatest responsibility as parents, then, is to model what we hope to see our kids become. And let me remind you, I've said it many times if you've been around here at Northwest, you'll never be able to teach or model what you do not know. You cannot teach and model those things you do not know. You'll never be able to lead your kids to a place spiritually that you've never been yourself. It's a sobering, sobering reminder to us as moms and dads. 
If we want ultimately to produce that kind of character, that kind of young adult, then we have to be those kinds of people. Here's number three. Number three mistake to avoid is we exaggerate about their potential and don't explore their true potential. Now, I thought about not doing this one because some of you immediately, as soon as I say that, you're going, I'm not going to like this. We exaggerate their potential and don't explore their true potential. When we exaggerate their potential, they get an inflated view of themselves. Do you recognize that? When they do the simplest little thing and you go, that is awesome! You know, you... What just came to my mind, I decided not to say. But, but I'm thinking, this is the simplest little thing. You buckled the seatbelt all by yourself. You are one talented kid. And they begin to go, you know what, I am talented. It's not like everybody can buckle their seatbelt for themselves. I see my friends, their parents buckle them, not me. Not me, I buckled it myself. If you doubt this, by the way, you've never watched the tryouts for American Idol. Right? If you doubt this is true. And though the show is off the air now, admit it, most of us really didn't enjoy that watching the people who could really sing sing, right? I mean, I, I didn't. Once it came time to watch the people who actually had the ability to be able to sing, you know, you turn it off. You go, that's not fun anymore. What did we enjoy? We enjoyed the tryouts, right? Inevitably, some 20-something walks into some room, and there's judges that are sitting there, and a judge says to them, usually Simon, right, when he was there, that's why the whole show failed ultimately, because he left, he would say to them, who told you you could sing? And inevitably, it was a parent. It was a grandparent who, by the way, is standing right outside the door with a cup up to the door, right? Because they're still convinced my kid could be the next American idol. When our oldest son, Jordan, was about eight or nine years old, we were confronted with this dilemma. Do we tell him the truth? We knew early on that Jordan was not going to be a singer. But we don't want to tell him that, right? We wouldn't want to break his spirit, right? And so... When he'd sing a song when we're laying there in the bed, you know, at first it was cute. And then, you know, as you get up into elementary school, it becomes painful because he really, he can't sing, right? I mean, that's not, that's not his gift. But I'm sure Diana and I had laid there in the bed with him at night and said, that's beautiful, Jordan. That's awesome. And it all worked out fine for us until one day he came home from church and he said, uh, Mom and Dad, I'm going to try out for the musical at church. And I believe it was Diana probably that said something to this effect. Um, are you going to have a speaking part? In her sweet, non-confrontational voice. And he said, and he said I'll never forget this. I didn't even forget his face. He goes, no, I'm trying out for the solo. And that's what happens. You see, we never told him that he was not a singer, and so one of his teachers at church had to tell him that, right? I mean, at some point he goes in for the audition, and they go, we think you'd be a great tree over there, right? But you ain't going to be singing. You know, we now give participation trophies rather than first or second place in a lot of situations because we don't want to hurt any child's feelings. I read this week about a private school where at the awards banquet, parents were told that if their kids had not received 
the award that they thought they deserved or that the kid wanted, that those trophies would be available for purchase after the program out in the lobby. That's where we, that's where we are. That's where we're going. In fact, you don't believe that that's true, that we give trophies for, for just uh, anything. This is my friend Jerry Hines' trophy right here. Jerry earned this in 1992 on the varsity baseball team, right, Jerry? Now, now get this, get this. Here's what you have to understand. R- written right here on the little thing says, the record of Jerry's 1992 varsity baseball team, you know what it was? 5-22! and 22. You're a... You're great, Jerry. You're awesome. You're going to play in Major League. And it says Jerry Hines. You know what Jerry won? Jerry was the best pitcher of the team that was 5-22. and 22. That's what he got right there. Yeah. And that's why Jerry's a pastor today as well. Now, don't misunderstand me, all right? I know some of you are going to walk out of here going, he thinks we shouldn't encourage our kids. That's not true at all. I love cheering on my kids, but I want it to be real, all right? And there's a place for as they're growing up and as they're kind of trying to figure things out, there's a place for that. But I just want to say it's so easy for us to take it to an extreme. There's a term that's become uh, popular more recently. It's called quarter-life crisis. It's really taken off of the term uh, that um, we refer to uh, what I'm probably in right now, and that's called a mid-life crisis, The quarter-life crisis is a period of of life ranging from the 20s to the 30s in which a person begins to feel doubtful about their own lives brought on by stress, the stress of becoming an adult. Some of you know because you interact with people that are that age, you know what I'm talking about because they've been told something that wasn't true. Our kids won't become doubtful about their lives unless we fail to help them explore their true potential. Can I encourage you to do that? We owe it to our kids to be honest with them, to be encouraging with them. As parents, we need to help our kids discover their God-given gifts and then help them determine how God can use those gifts. That's one of our greatest responsibilities as parents. We're growing up in a culture that just says, tell them they're awesome and they're fantastic and they're great at everything, only for them to come to find out one day that's not the real world, that's not true. Last thing, last mistake to avoid, and again, remember there are 12 in this book. I'm just giving you four. If it's overwhelming to you, imagine what it's going to be when you read this book, right? But these are good things. These are good things. Number four is we prepare the path for the child rather than the child for the path. We prepare the path for the child rather than the child for the path. The problem for most parents is not that we neglect our kids. In fact, I would say living in Cary, North Carolina, there are very, very few situations that I run into where I think parents are actually neglecting their kids. The problem is that we spend more time um, preparing their life for them than we do preparing them for that life. Sometimes we do a better job protecting them than we do preparing them. It's easy for us to care about their basic necessities, their food, their clothing, their education, their smartphone, etc., and not prepare them for life. Many of us are so focused on making sure that they get good grades to get into college that when they get to college, they're not prepared as young men and young women to even be in college. 
we have a higher calling than to simply raise kids that are well-rounded and educated and happy. The Old Testament Shema instructed parents in Deuteronomy 6 and then again in chapter 11, you shall teach diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, these principles, these life-changing principles that are found in God's word. And when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, that's what our responsibility is as parents. I recently heard a pastor make this statement as to our purpose as parents who are followers of Jesus. He said this, this is so good. We're called to unleash Christ-centered, biblically-anchored world changers. Isn't that good? That's what you and I are called to do. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you want to raise kids according to that definition that we read early on in Psalm 112, then the end result is that we want to unleash Christ-centered, biblically-anchored kids who will ultimately become world changers. Now, here's the simple truth if you have kids, let's say, over the age of two. We can't control who they become, can we? Some of you, if you're honest here today and you're empty nesters or you're just about ready to be empty nesters, there's some disappointment in your life right now. I get that. Diana and I have experienced that at different times in our kids' journey as as they've grown up. Or you're disappointed. Your kids have made some choices that you didn't want them to make. In fact, you look at things I've talked about today and you say, we tried to do that. You're disappointed. Here's the truth of the matter. We can't control who they become, but we can expose them to experiences that will help create a hunger for spiritual growth. I really believe that what we value, who we value, what places we value, what we expose them to, to, to helps determine who they ultimately become. In fact, Proverbs 13, 20 says this, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. And so as I close, I want to suggest that you think about preparing your kids for life rather than just simply marking the path. And I want you to consider this, that preparing them for life, at least in God's perspective, will involve maybe these four things, all right? With this, I'll close. Expose them to this. Expose them to the fact of the joy of knowing God personally. Now, some of you heard that and you said, you you thought I meant just kind of take them to church. That's that's, that's part of it, right? In fact, I'm going to talk about that next, but that's part of it. But, But I'm talking about help them know and understand that they were created by God to have a relationship with him. And that, that, that this thing we call sin, those things that we've done that are, that, are, that are contrary to the character of God, have separated us from that relationship that we were created to have. And when we trust in what Jesus did on the cross, when we place our faith in that, and we come into a relationship with the God of the universe, that that is when real life begins. Why? Because that's eternal. That's everlasting. It's not just temporary. And it's not meant to be, oh man, i got to walk with Jesus, but someday I'll go to heaven. You know, it's not meant to be that way. So many of our kids, they have, they have the idea that that's what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. That's not it. Help them know and understand the joy of knowing God personally. Secondly, expose them to the love of a faith community. We might say, some of us, we might say, expose them to the love of a church family. 
Invest the time that it takes for your kids to have significant relationships with people in a faith community. I'll tell you, I am so thankful for that over the years. I can't tell you, in fact, I could get pretty emotional just thinking about the people, some of which are even in this room right now, that have influenced my kids in a positive way. And and you know, some of that would have never happened had they not grown to love the church. Had they not grown to love and know some of you who at at just the right moments have been able to encourage them and challenge them when mom and dad's voices were wah, 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 and they heard what you said. That takes time. You can't bring them here two two Sundays out of a month for an hour and 15 minutes and expect them to develop a deep love for a faith community. It takes time. Number three. Help them understand the satisfaction of living by a standard that's worth achieving. Help them understand the satisfaction of living by a standard that's worth worth achieving. I want to remind you that your kids are capable of achieving much more than you actually think that they are. And kids want to be challenged to a higher level. I think we've so dumbed down the standard for middle school and high school kids. Jerry and I, I know we both give this testimony. We saw it as youth pastors. Uh, that we would, uh, kids, kids would just rise up to this level, and parents are content just to have this level. You, you say, well, what do you mean? I, I mean, things like our moral purity. You know, it's not really become popular in our, in our culture today for kids to save themselves for marriage, their sexuality for marriage. Yet God said, I created you, and that's the way I designed it to be. I designed, a, I designed sex to be a great thing between a husband and a wife in marriage. That's the way I designed it to be. Our world has said that's not practical. It's not even reasonable. And so what have we done? Even those of us that name the name of Jesus, we dumbed down the standard. And we've said, well, hey, at least if they don't get pregnant or they don't get somebody pregnant, then we win. How about raising the standard? And saying, God said that it's this way for a reason. Not so he could keep us from something that's awesome, but so that he could save us from all the hurt, all the harm that comes when we do things that way. And then we can enjoy this. How about raising the standard? I could give you 20 other things. In a culture that says, get all you can for yourself at the expense of everybody else. How about a standard that says, do all you can for everybody else? I'd suggest it's time that we make sure that our kids understand the satisfaction of living by a standard that's worth achieving. And then lastly, expose them to the thrill of being used by God. I want all of our kids to know and understand the thrill of being used by God. If you were here a few weeks ago and you saw our kids uh, at this camp, Camp Barnabas in uh, Missouri, Man, I'll tell you what, I sat there both services and I had tears coming out of my eyes as I saw our kids being involved in the thrill of being used by him. Such an awesome thing. Parents, we have a lot to do with whether or not that happens. I want to encourage you to encourage them to serve in our community, to serve here in our church. And, And I would say take it a step further. Why don't you serve alongside of them? I saw some people just this morning, a mom and her son, her high school son, and they were out in the foyer, and they were setting up in the foyer together. And I see dads and sons sometimes, but a mom and a dad, that was awesome. 
She didn't just say, hey, get out of bed, you lazy sloth. Get over there and serve. They need some young bodies over there. You know what? She said, hey, come on, let's go. Let's go, let's go do it together. And in just a few uh, months, we're going to have moms and dads and kids that are going to go with us to Africa. And we're going to be involved in that project that David talked about. Encourage them to understand the thrill of being used by God and do that with them. Now, if you're struggling on your parenting journey, you're not alone this morning. And I want you to know that um, we are fellow strugglers. And Jerry and I are going to be down front here just after we sing uh, this morning. And we would love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you and encourage you. And we can even point you to, to some help if, if that's what uh, you need. And we also really want you to be um, uh, interacting as families during this uh, short series. And one of the things that we'd like to encourage you to do is to, to talk at family dinner time. And I know maybe you only have one or two of those a week, depending on the age of your kids. But we've prepared these placemats for you. And uh, you're gonna, we're going to give them to you each week, okay? So when you leave this morning, you're going to get one of these placemats. And they're awesome. They're great. There's activities for little kids. Uh, there's uh, discussion questions, things to get you talking. And uh, we hope that that will start some great conversations in your family. Would you stand with me and let's pray together and we'll, we'll sing and let you go. God, thank you for the truth, the truths that are found uh, in your word. I thank you uh, that, uh, that you give us lots of information in scripture to tell us that uh, we realize this parenting journey is tough it's hard and we're not always going to be perfect we're not always going to do the right things but god i i thank you that um, we have the ability as long as we have breath to change course and i pray that something that we've said today or we'll say over the next couple of weeks will give somebody in this room hope that they can change course that this journey that we call parenting can be somewhat better than it is uh, currently and so we pray that you'll use these words in a significant way in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name.